Welcome to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. Your host, Andrew Clark, is joined by heavy hitters Paul Gover and Bruce Williams. Time to get down and dirty. It comes down to whether or not they're prepared to play the same game as him. You jump in the pool with the shark. Oh, I didn't know he was going to bite my foot off. Welcome back to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. This week, we're excited because after what feels like an eternity, top-level motorsport was back. The supercars were in Perth, and we had one sensational race and a couple of okay ones. Then in Baku for Formula One, we had fast-moving chess and the need to calm down the dummy-spitting child by the name of Max Verstappen that is yet to learn that the driver on the outside of the corner is the one in trouble, and that maybe he needs to learn how to concede. Then on Sunday, Christian Horner needed to proclaim him again when the cards didn't fall his way. To help me unpack it all, our auto action editor Bruce Williams and the highly esteemed Paul Gover will be back after this short break. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 news know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 in the build-up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Back to the Auto Action Rev Limiter. The supercars were over in Perth at Wanneroo Race Raceway. I've got Raceway going on. It's over. Do you want me to do the intro? Wanneroo like Raceway. <laughs> so we got a few few things to unpack here, but let's start firstly with the engine map for the Ford. Who wants to give me a quick summary of what it was and what they wanted it to do? Jesus, you leapt straight in. You couldn't talk about the racing. No, not you. Yet. Want to go straight to the engine map? We're coming to the racing. It's all in oh, a program. Yeah. So. As we've been discussing for probably one of our first podcasts, the engine map was seen to be an issue with the Coyote motor. Apparently, there was a change made by the supercar technical department at supercars during the test session at Sydney Motorsport Park, or Eastern Creek as we prefer to call it here at Auto Action, <laughs> and that introduced a part low part throttle what we would describe as a stumble, which apparently has been part of the reason why the, the Ford guys have had a, a lack of traction. And this isn't this isn't when they put their foot down hard. This is when they're balancing, trying to balance the car, squeeze the throttle on when they're coming out of a slow corner. So it's actually got a big impact, isn't it? So it's, a, yeah. it's like driving an old turbo car into yeah, exactly, trying to that balance That sort something. of thing. Yeah. And in, 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 in an effort to get through it, most of the drivers are probably having to put their foot down a bit more to get through this hesitation, which then immediately causes them to break traction. Once the tyres are hot and they, it's just self-fulfilling prophecy. They get, they get worse and worse and worse. But you know the, and this was really only affecting part throttle, very low throttle percentage. Um, and people saying, oh, you know, the Mustangs go all right in a straight line. Yeah, sure they do. And wide open throttle, it's not, it's never been an issue. There's been no argument about it. But it's been this, this issue with a part throttle application. And apparently on the Friday morning of Wanawoo Wasteway, as you referred to it, <laughs> they dumped the new file in. The file's been. The, it's been ready for a while. Yeah, in fact, yeah. there's another version. It was ready before Newcastle. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the issue's been identified with um, with the Ford engine tuning and building people with with Rob Herod and Co. They've been aware of it, and this is all about trying to basically adjust the parity so that the uh, 
the Coyote motor didn't have too much power. So in order to, to drag it back down, they've introduced a problem. Did, did it work? It's, it's hard to know. I mean, I haven't had any feedback from the drivers, but it's going to come back to what we talk about a little bit later, and that is that I don't think it made any difference to the results because ultimately the best teams are winning in, winning on the track and none of those best teams are running for, running Mustangs. So I don't think it really – it's hard to know. Yeah, I think the feedback from the drivers was it didn't do much, you know, that they, they didn't really feel it. But we do know that there's another – engine map that um, that Rob Heron's got ready to roll, but there's this 28-day testing lag phase type thing. So that may come into play for Simmons' plane, and I think there's going to be a lot of pressure over the next week to to bring that into action. I mean, it's, a, it's an evolution. We've only three yeah. races into a brand-new generation of car. Yep. Wanneroo is the first time we've seen them on a proper racetrack. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, realistically, the, the evaluation of what's going on starts now. But if, uh, as you've reported in our uh, latest issue of Auto Action, mate, the stats don't lie. Stats never lie. And you love a stat, Andrew. You love a good stat. Andrew, <laughs> the stat perv. Um, <laughs> you know, the stats clearly show that the uh, the Camaro's dominating. If you look at the stats, Clarky, because I know you love a good stat, a couple of times on the weekend there were six Mustangs in the top ten, but only one <laughs> usually in the top three. So they're close. They're, well, they're getting closer, but you know they've got to make sure they don't knee jerk on the basis that they're going to then try and penalise Erebus and Triple Eight, who are doing a better job than anybody else. Shane Van Gisbergen's interview, uh, I found it very curious. Um, PG, why did he do an interview if he didn't want to talk? He wants to talk on his terms to somebody he likes when he's feeling relaxed. Oh, gee, so. Let's just only have races on days when he's feeling relaxed, racing against people he likes. Now, Jess Yates is a very good journalist. Um, I actually interviewed her for Auto Action fairly early on in the piece. She's a very smart lady. She asked the right questions. He probably thought it was going to be a nice, nice soft interview, certainly not like sitting down with the three of us, for example. Um, and I think he let his guard down and told us some things that maybe he wouldn't have normally wanted to tell us. I thought it was interesting when she said to him, you know, and he said, oh, I've got to be careful here. And she said, well, it's your chance to talk. You know, it's like she really kind of poked him to to say what he thought. And I, I still don't think he, he quite opened up, but he did say a couple of things where uh, that I found interesting, and especially his uh, views around New Zealand and uh, stuff you'll read in auto action when it comes out on Wednesday and Thursday, which are uh, quite interesting. Not just that. He, he said he's got a one-year deal, and the team said he had a multi-year deal. But the deal is also that if he um, decides to race in another category in another country, he can go. What it is, he has a one-year deal with an op- with options. Yeah. But they decide to call it a multi-year deal because it looks better for the team. Yeah. Well, it sounds good in the newspapers, doesn't it? And they <laughs> seem very, very grateful, everybody from Scafe right through to the bloke who sucks the dust off the concrete in uh, pit lane <laughs> in that BP commercial, was very, very excited <laughs> to, um, to hear that they'd managed to re-sign, Shane. I mean... I wouldn't be unhappy to see him go. He's too good. I think Jess let him off the hook a couple of times too. She She asked a couple of probing questions. And whether or not uh, the media manager from Triple Eight was standing behind uh, Shane and started waving his arms and saying, you can't go there, because she backed out of a couple of occasions when she could have gone harder, I think, Mm. and we might have dragged a response out of him, but we didn't get it. Anyway, my view was it wasn't inspiring watching. uh, It was sort of filling the air between races really, wasn't it? Let's move on. We are going to talk about the racing now. Um, we touched on it before. The best. So we've got Erebus, the meat and potatoes team, and then we've got Triple Eight. And I was trying to work out a way to talk about them, but uh, 
they're a bit more sophisticated. They've got a lot more energy, a lot more, more, lot more engineers, all that sort of stuff. You reckon they're a bit sushi, are they, Andrew? Oh, no, I think they're part sushi. I think they're like into that French nouveau cuisine and there's <laughs> a, some sort of nice sauce being put on top of a, um, on top of a snail or it's something. Definitely, it's definitely it's <laughs> yes. a triple A to your sort of Michelin star restaurant, whereas yeah. uh, as, <laughs> as and the boys, have, but, you know, it's the barbecue, it's the chops, the sausages, steak, yeah, and salad. And sausages with lots well, of... No steak. It's interesting to me that like they're completely opposite teams in terms of the the way they operate, and they're probably complete opposite in terms of the grid. Yet they're clearly the two teams that are working well. I mean, how can such different philosophies work in the same way? Well, it comes down to you know to NAS as far as racing's concerned and setting up the cars. What's interesting is that, um, but just sorry about that, Andrew just interrupted my train of thought with an incoming phone call. <laughs> What's interesting is they both have dif- different philosophies. You know, the Triple Eight have been the team to beat for a long time. They do everything nicely, extremely polished. They've got a really solid crew of people, lots of money. And Barry grew up in that sort of Larry Perkins, if you can make a standard part, work by giving it a tweak and a polish and paint it matte black and sit cable tight to the chassis, then... Um, do it. That's the way you do it, and it's yeah. it's working well. What's interesting is that on a couple of occasions now, though, the what's really interesting, and it's proven in the points, Erebus the, with Will Brown and um, Brody, they've been really consistent. They've both been running at the front of the field in most of the races, whereas we see with Triple Eight, quite often you'll see one of their guys going pretty well, and the other one buried down in the pack somewhere. It's snakes and ladders. Yeah, there. Snakes and ladders. Up, down, yeah. up, down. Yeah, but Erebus haven't had the down yet, which I think yeah, I think they're doing a terrific. Oh, yes, they have. Will Brown had the down at the Grand Prix. And I think in his career, when we look back 10 years from now, that we'll all talk about that being the pivotal day in Will Brown's career because he lost the race he thought he was going to win. Yeah. And he's had to hit it, he's had to hit the reset button about everything himself, but also how he copes with Brody, because Brody is very, very good. Yeah, and what I like about Brody is that he's um he's not frightened of taking it up to anybody. He's a. Uh... This was the first time we've seen in years someone actually tell SVG to get stuffed, and you're not coming past me, buddy. I'm going to hold you out. I mean, ultimately, it didn't stop Van Gisbergen getting past because he did his usual thing where he gave them the most delicate of nudges right in the appropriate spot. Doesn't get any penalties by the uh, the official because oh well you know he didn't shove him he just gently lent on him blew him a kiss um, but at least uh, Brody wasn't going to sit there and let most of these guys when they see him come and just move over and let him go past yeah. it's quite well, sad. You watch some of the soft moves with him coming through the field yeah like the shell car through the weekend I saw both of them effectively do what Fabian Coulthard did up in Queensland Raceway years ago where he put the blinker on. Yeah, well, that's crazy. We'll put the blinker on. There's a theory among some people that, you know, if there's another car coming up quickly behind you, that you're better off not to engage and try and fight them off because it ends up you get out of your rhythm and they, uh, in you know, you, you hold them up and then something will happen. Mm-hmm. So you're better off to, to let them go past and sneak on behind them and then get back in your rhythm because you might have the speed to get back past. Uh, which is like Max Verstappen did that on the weekend too. Did you notice? Not. <laughs> Sorry, that's part two. No, no, but I mean, are we racing or are we, are we putting on a demonstration? Excuse me, Paul, you're yeah. supposed to put your hand up before you start interjecting, oh, particularly no. when you start waffling on about Formula One when we've just been to Wanneroo Waceway. Please. <laughs> the other thing about that is, Bruce, if I did that to you in a race, 
would you expect me to be penalised? Yeah. No. <laughs> Just one second, Paul. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you'd like that. All right, let's move on for a second. The, um, Sorry, I need to. The only way that you would make contact with my rear bumper bar is if I reversed into you. <laughs> <laughs> the improvers. Uh, Oregon Grove have been uh, big improvers, and it looks like it's sustainable too. It doesn't look like it's a fluke. And, and you know, the interesting thing, I talked to Stephen Grove on Sunday night, and he was pretty wound up. And why was he wound up? He thought they should have been able to win on the weekend. He was not happy. Okay. That he's expecting them to win sooner rather than later. He said they've got a good handle on the car. Dave is doing the job. He's just not aggressive enough. Now, I think if you look at Grove, they've really got no excuses. They've got all the ingredients. They've got an unbelievably good engineering team. Yeah. They've got equal equipment to everybody else now that's in the Mustang Cup. So at the end of the day, there's no reason why they shouldn't win. Okay, so let's get into it. The races. There's been a lot of talk about this because um, Feeney said it was much easier when they when he had clean air, and uh, Will Brown said the cars were great in clean air. Are these things any easier to race than they were in the past? Because to me, it doesn't seem like there's any evidence saying that that is the case. No, no, there are other people also saying that we used to have really bad aero wash, and we don't now. So it, it depends who you're talking to and when you're talking to them. Well, if 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 that's the case, then. Feeney come, coming out and saying the car's so much faster in clean air indicates to me that there must be a, an aero wash effect because if you're in traffic, I mean, okay, the brakes get hotter and the tyres get hotter, but he said the cars were so much easier to drive. Um, and that, you know, that tells us that um, maybe they're, they're aerodynamically not as, as, as neutral as they thought they were going to be. So piecing together all the things that I heard and read over the weekend, it seems like the tyres are the issue, that the the tyres are heating up too much and they can't actually race. So any advantage or that might have because because there is no aero wash or lower aero wash is being lost because of the tyres. God, we've been sucked in, Andrew. We're talking about tyres. No. At the Grand Prix, they were talking about tyres because they couldn't get the heat into them. At Wanneroo Raceway, they're talking about the tyres because they were too hot. I mean, at the end of the day, guys, everybody's got to drive the same car on the same tyres. They're all random black. Let's just get on with it. Stop talking about tyres. But are Seriously. we are we at the point if we want to improve the racing? No, which is Andrew. Those tyres are built to a price. They are built to a a, a, a pattern devised Heck. by supercars. It is yep. not going to change. No, fundamentally, those tyres are almost the same as what they were racing on the front of a Sierra thirty years ago. Correct. The issue to me seems to be that the um, everybody paces themselves. There's no one, like you were talking before about how, you know, we're not going to get involved in a fight, we're not going to do this because of whatever. Like, they're not racing. They're sitting there pacing themselves across a 42-lap race, and which is, you know, 35 minutes long, and they're pacing themselves. I mean, I find that quite ridiculous. No, it's not ridiculous. It's called tactics. Do you remember Jack Braddon? Win at the slowest possible speed. What, what you're saying is fundamentally correct, but the reality is these are – Short races in the real scheme of things. I mean, if these guys had to do two-day races, they'd be buggered. They're still trying to find out what speed they've got in the car. Young Todd Hazelwood did a great job. He showed again that there's a lot of speed in these cars. I think in the, it was in the first race or the second race. He mowed down half the field. He did a and great job. finished fourth or fifth. He did a mm. great job. That car's got speed. Again, these guys are learning how to make their cars work. He didn't quite have it in qualifying, but yet he's got race speed. Yeah. And I think what you're finding is that a lot of these people, like you said, they're not. it's not so much tactics. 
they're being conservative because they don't really know. I want to see someone come in with canvas on their tyres. The racing. I want to talk a little bit about the controversy. So we um, we had one bloke called for blocking or warned for blocking, and we had another bloke who was allowed to biff and barge his way past. Um, what is happening with the racing? And we have we got trouble with the way it's being adjudicated? I don't think so. And I think the one thing that everybody's forgotten in the whole Van Gisbergen versus um, versus Brody Kostecki thing is once he got past him, he drove away from him. So everyone's going to motor past him. Yeah. yeah. I want to see it happening all the time. You know, yeah, I, I thought the racing was good. I grew yeah. up in the era where um, Norm Beachy brake tested um, Alan Moffat on the way to the grid at Calder <laughs> and destroyed the front of Moffat's car for something he never ever forgave him for. You know, I mean, <laughs> we we do live in a very politically correct world, um, but really, honestly, I just thought it was the best thing that's happened in supercars in the last five years, even. Um, when when Shane had to race his fellow New Zealander, that IndyCar driver, um, they didn't run into each other like this. And I'm just waiting for Brody to give him some payback. Yep, absolutely. So I've, I've got no problems with the um, the Van Gisbergen move on Kostecki. I think that's motor racing, and that's what we want to see. Curious though about the uh, the blocking warning. I think they should have just left him to get on with it. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day. Brody wasn't getting upset by the fact that Shane was running into the back of his car and Barry wasn't getting upset about it. What they got annoyed was that they were basically, the, you know, some bloke sitting in a little glass building, and I'm not sure whether it was Beto or one of the other minions from Motorsport Australia sitting up in the thing, pointing their fingers at the screen saying, oh, we can't have that, that's unsafe, this is supposed to be motor racing, not Biff and Barge. To me, it was enthralling. Here we are talking about it today. It's the first time we've been able to actually talk about a race for a while. It was entertaining. And as I said before, Brody took it up to him. And what will be really interesting to see is uh, what happens if SVG tries to pull the same stunt with um, Brody. Because I reckon Baz will be on the radio saying, doesn't matter, mate, just give it to him. Send him off. He won't have to be on the radio. Brady will have him off before he can get on the radio. I thought one of the, you know, one of the ways that I knew that this was actually really good was because Scaife actually did really good commentary when that was happening. You know, get over there, block him here. It was like Scaife was driving the car. Yeah. Like he was actually as fired up as in. And you, I'm sure, Bruce, you were at home going, yes, yes, move over there, block him. Yeah, I'd put the brakes on now. Let's go to the races, uh, the ratings of them. What did you think of the three races? Um, give me something out of 10 for them, um, Bruce. Uh, first race was a um, was a uh, 6 out of 10, but with a four-point uh, difficulty. And um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's that gets the score up. <laughs> I think it was quite good. Sunday? Um, third race on Sunday was as boring as. I think I might have even gone to sleep. I'm not sure. Race two over there was was okay. It was interesting. So we've got six for the first race. What are we doing? No, no, six with four points of difficulty. Yes, okay. Second race, what? The... Oh, that was about a, about a 7.5 out of 10. And the third? Oh, it just looked like a normal supercar race to me. PG? Out of six. Uh, two sevens and a four. I'm about the same, so um, that's all right. Top three drivers for the weekend. Who were your, um, who were your top three, PG? Uh, Brody Kostecki, uh, Will Brown, and uh, Young Feeney equal second. And uh, Shane third. Bruce? Who were my favourite? Who were the your best three, drivers? The three best drivers. Not your favourites, the three best. <laughs> uh, I think that the, the uh, Will and Brody obviously did very well. And, um, oh, you know, Shane 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it'd be saying, well, why didn't he win is the score. Yeah. So. And why did he qualify 21st? I thought Davey Reynolds went all right. He's driving a Mustang. Good call. And uh, he, he won the Mustang Cup on the weekend. And so SVG, I mean, no doubt Brock did a good job too. And I think we, we're seeing him him come of age. He's had a win in the streets of Adelaide. Now he's had a win at Wanneroo. But, again, it comes down to tyres. Yep. Because where were they in qualifying? I mean, Shane went from being on pole to being second or third last. I mean, this is there's some sort of idiocracy. Oh, absolutely. It, 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 it is he going on here. It's so my, my top three, I'm, uh, I've got Will Brown and Brady Kostecki and uh, Dave Reynolds. True. Oh, We're sharing a microphone. It's bad enough that we're sharing theories of driving. No, I'd love to give a a big elephant stamp to Todd Hazelwood, though. No, Todd was good. Todd was was really good, and Todd's one of those young kids. He's he's a bit of a he's a bit of a journeyman. He you know he's always he's a lovely young guy. He's polite. He battles away. He's got lots of little stickers on his helmet, Um, and you know and Cool Drive or BRT. Blanchard Racing Team should be congratulated for putting in the car and doing a great job because, I mean, they really are an impressive little outfit considering mm. they've only got one car to gather, gather data from and, yeah, no, yep. good on them. All righty, welcome back to Auto Action Rev Limiter. This time we're not at Wanamu Raceway. We're at Baku and we're talking Formula One and a couple of other things. My first question to either of you, did either of you get through that Formula One race? Absolutely. I did. Every lap? Every lap. We're proper students of motorsport, although Bruce did admit a minute ago that he fell asleep during the third supercars race. I think Formula One's got a problem. I reckon it is as boring as it's been in a long time. No, I think you're wrong, Andrew. I'm wait. I think it's about to explode because at some stage that bloke from du- the Dutch, he's going to crack. He is going to have a proper meltdown when his mate from Mexico yep. doesn't let him win any more races. It's it's yep. it's going to come down to it. You can see. Yeah. You can see that. Perez is absolutely loving beating him, and Max and his dad are smouldering. Did you listen to the radio chat at the end? Yeah. You know, uh, Christian Horner comes in. Oh, well done, Checo. Oh, well, Max, these things happen. There'll be another day, don't you? Right. We've seen this. How many times have we seen this where uh, where there's been an Aussie in that team and all the favouritism's going the other way? Well, now it's the turn of Mexico to cop a, uh, a Mark Webber and uh, Ricardo. Those blokes will want to be careful because the Mexicans are a bit a bit nasty when it comes to dealing out retribution. Wait till they go to Mexico City and yeah, see what happens. Yeah, they want to be careful down there. They'll come out with machetes and, <laughs> and M16s and, and they various did, other things. They did nobble um, Sergio at the last race just to make sure that Max oh, well. could win, didn't they? Anyway, you were about to say, Andrew, wasn't it, interest, wasn't it entertaining no. seeing the Dutch being going off trop Heaven forbid that someone should come down the inside of him and not give him giving racing room. He had to move off the line. So my question is, if you're on the outside, what for the fuck is going to happen to for, you? Did you say for what the fuck does he think he's going to happen <laughs> to you? Say, yeah, for you two corners. For two corners he was on the outside and he still deserved, thought he deserved to be given the right. The line. I mean, did he not learn when Lewis Hamilton was on the inside and he was on the outside and he ended up in a wall at 300 kilometres per hour that being on the outside is not necessarily the best place to be in a racing car? Didn't he? He's now a rock god. He can do no wrong. You just ask him or his dad. And didn't oh. he suck oh, up? Yeah. Didn't he? <laughs> and it was all right. And then after he got back past Russell, you know, the, the little to and fro between him and his engineer saying, oh, that's how you do it, mate. And and I didn't have to hit him either. It was really good. Did you notice that? <laughs> I felt like I was watching Austin Powers versus Goldmember. 
it was ridiculous. You know, you know, you guys are talking about two races. That's the sprint race on the side. Uh, yeah, it's all the same weekend. <laughs> the sprint race was the one that was interesting yes. because of the George Russell and um, and Max Verstappen. Yeah, that was great. Um, and the other race was obviously decided just on um on on a bit of pit luck, as um Christian Horner told Max. Well, isn't it funny <laughs> when you? So the bottom line is that when they call the shots and they stuff it up, oh, you know, bad luck, oh, gee, oh, gee, oh, we got it robbed. But if they'd done that and they'd come out in front, oh, congratulate you, so clever. Brilliant. So, you know, at the end of the day, you got to take, you got to, you got to cop it when, when you cop it. They got greedy. They saw a car go in the wall. They thought, oh, here's an opportunity. We'll duck in here, and it didn't work. And the other thing is, if Max was so good, he would have had the speed to get past him. Can we move on from the from the okay. obvious thing? I'd like to talk about all the other crap that was going on. Well, like Nick DeFries, is he look? Is he going to be? Uh, he's got to be looking for another job soon. Surely, <laughs> surely. But more importantly, let's touch on this for a second, PG. Yep. That finish of the race with Ocon coming into the pits with the yep. FIA already getting their parade things out yep. when they threw a threw threw a wobbly at a Grand Prix for somebody walking out on the track. Yeah. What I hope they're of, going to have an investigation with themselves. What's the penalty? They're a bit like some other governing bodies that we won't talk about whose initials are M and A. But, um, you know, <laughs> like, oh, Australia, explain yourself. Oh, gee, well, we're the FIA and we don't have to explain ourselves. And the other thing is, did you notice in Melbourne, no, you're not allowed to climb on the debris fencing. And now Christian Horner's read the rules and it says you can so long as you have one foot on the concrete wall. But that's not that's not climbing on it. But the no, other no, thing no, is, no, no, that's standing. The reality is that the TV, our mate, our poor old boys on Sky TV were well and truly onto it for about half a lap before. Well, there's people in the pit lane. What's going on? But the officials were too. They didn't work it yeah. out. Hey, how, like, how would you have liked to have been sitting next to Michael Massey when that was going on? Sitting at home with the TV with a couple of quiet ales, just watching it unfold. <laughs> All right, let's move on for a second. The race. What did you give it? What do you reckon? Out of ten. Yeah. Give me the sprint and the main and the main race. I thought for overall interest of the weekend, I gave it a seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think there was a bit of a seven. And remember that during the race, Bruce and I were staying awake trying to work out if Oscar was going to be able to get past that Alfatori, which unfortunately he couldn't. Although apparently he was three kilos lighter. He was very very unwell. Yeah. Oscar got a serious case of do- uh, food poisoning. I think three on kilograms Thursday. I hear he lost before the race. Yeah, that was the statement. But yeah. he was he was really really unwell. So for him to end up being, you know, a few tenths a, a second or so behind Lando, Oscar's just reinforcing what a great job he's doing. He was he he finished in front of him in the sprint, and he's he's doing a good job. He really is doing a good job. He's clearly a star, really. You know, and McLaren are now absolute. Leaders of the midfield, they finished tenth and eleventh, so they are smack bang in the middle of the field, and that's where they've been aiming for. So now they just need to. They got the goals. And in fact, your your idea of the two by two by two was nearly nearly paid out, mm. because if you say the big four are Red Bull, Ferrari, Mercedes, and now Aston Martin, McLaren are the best of the rest. And what about Fernando? I just love when they're talking about the radio chat when he said, "How many laps to go?" And, uh, and his engineer said, 14, he said, good number. Now we go. <laughs> he's, like a, he's like a kid. He's so energised. It's fantastic. Here comes Fernando. Hey, and there's something on the uh, there's something on the social media thing that he might be dating some famous music star. 
Who is it? Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. For now. That squeaky little voice in the background is the man wearing the um, – What's he got on today? He's wearing the frosty oh, number frosty. 18 Irwin race gear <laughs> shirt tonight. That's uh, comments from the cheat sheets. <laughs> so, yeah, the, so he's dating Taylor Swift. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Young Thomas is giving us update. Thomas See, is of the right vintage. I reckon tonight. we're going to get close to my daughter following motorsport soon. We've got yep. Pitbull on one thing and Taylor Swift. So yep. she's, she's I reckon Fernando should get a special award for that. <laughs> there should be a bonus point for who's who's dating the smokingest, hottest woman. Well, wait until they break up and she writes a whole album about it. <laughs> anyway, move on. I thought the weekend was interesting. I give it a tick. Cool. Move on. Excellent. All right. We've only got a couple of Don't other forget, things. Hang on. One thing. Oh. We've got another race weekend this weekend. If you thought it was crazy, um, in Baku, we go to the other extreme, the, the home of the free and the brave <laughs> and the crazy people in bikinis and um, all the rest of the stuff in Miami. <laughs> um, IndyCar, Scotty McLaughlin. Yep. He's called it his most complete win. Um, yep. What do we think? Oh, he's, he, he did very well. He was clever. They played a really good strategy. They came in and um, put tyres on towards the end and Scotty had saved all his push to pass. He hadn't used any of it. So when it came down to that battle with uh, Grosjean, who, again, has become a star of IndyCar and I'm really pleased to see it. I remember how sick in the guts I felt when I saw Grosjean crash and I thought I'd seen some another Formula 1 driver die at that moment, <coughs> see him get out of that car. And now he's racing and he's running at the front of the field in IndyCar. It's fantastic to see those guys yep. having a crack is really good. But, so, he, but he is very French, isn't he? He'd used up all his push to pass. He got too excited too early. And the KG, the KG New Zealand are using the same tactics that used to work for Brabham and uh, Denny Hulm. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you go off and rev it into the middle distance and we'll see who gets the checkered flag. Again, Andrew, winning at the slowest possible speed. And uh, we have to give a shout-out to uh, Will because Will Power, he came through on the podium and um, another solid result. Yep. Just goes to show that um, blokes of uh, his vintage are still capable of being competitive. It's great. All right, we're going to touch on one topic before we shut down today, S5000. So we want to talk a little bit about the politics of S5000 and why it's being crushed. So, Bruce, give me something. Well, I had a, in this issue of the magazine. On, uh, can you tell me what's going in S5000? What's happening? What, what do you mean it's being crushed? Can you, can you fill me in? The politics, around, the politics around S5000 and why it's being crushed, there has been a campaign to stop the cars racing at places like Bathurst. Motorsport Australia are saying that somebody in the FIA has said they don't want those cars racing. And as he rightly points out, they are the only FIA-approved crash-tested race car that's racing in this country. Now, some interesting points. Greg Crick, who everybody knows in the sport, he's a seasoned racer. He's uh, He's been a driving standard DSO for Toyota 86 for a long time. He's been recently drafted onto a safety committee for Motorsport Australia to review some some incidents such as Targa and uh, also recent debacle occurred down at Simmons Plains during a Trans Am race and a few other things. Crick is a really good guy. He's very, very knowledgeable. He's mates with everybody in the industry. He recently ran uh, Golding in S5000 car in Simmons Plains, so he engineered the car. And for the first time, he's really exposed to it. And he's come away from there thinking, what a you know he always thought it was a great category, but now he realises just how good it is. It's incredibly economical. 
Basically, Cricky's come out and says he just doesn't understand what the hell's going on with this claim that there's some safety issues with these cars. It's a great category. I mean, seriously, there's 22 kids racing overseas at the moment, not including our Formula 3 and Formula 2 and Formula 1 drivers in all sorts of categories from Formula 4 in Spain all the way through Italy and various other categories. So there is a an appetite for young kids wanting to race open wheels. Why we aren't encouraging them to race these cars, and I think Cricky's nailed it. We had a long conversation. It's a feature-length news story, and basically it comes down to the fact that there's politics. People that are involved in supercars, they don't want them people racing those things because they can't rip any money out of them when they're uh, running an S5000 car. They just can't. And yet when you talk to people like Golding and some of these other kids, they all say the same thing. Surprisingly, they're similar to things to drive, which sounds bizarre, but it's true. We're going to introduce a new section to finish off these podcasts, and it's the Whack of the Week. Have you got another one for us, Bruce? (laughs) I'm going to. (laughs) I want to raise another issue. And again, (laughs) I'm pointing the finger at probably some similar people here. There's a strange rule at the moment that says if you want to race in supercars in the main game, you have to compete in six Super 2 races. Now, that uh, that's a strange thing I, because there are people that race GT cars around the world in various different categories and all sorts of other interesting cars. But somehow or other, the people at Motorsport Australia, because apparently it's their choice, no one at Supercars has made this decision, it's Motorsport Australia, have decreed that you've got to do six races and you've got to finish in the top six of a championship season in order to qualify to drive a super taxi. Now... That's pretty exciting stuff. But I want to bring <laughs> something to everybody's attention, which I find bizarre. And that is in the category we're called Super 2, there's a subdivision called Super 3. Now, the Super 3 cars are, in fact, the same cars that were Super 2 last year. Now they're Super 3. And, they're and the there's same two, they run in the same races, they run with the same tyres, and there are two or three kids in Super 3 that are dishing it up and serving it up to to the majority of the field in Super 2. And yet they can finish the championship, win Super 3, finish inside the top 10 in the Super 2 series uh, because it's all in together. They're all racing the same cars, but they don't qualify. Riddle me that one, Batman. How does that work? Well, this was the What is going on? But it was a big thing last year with Bathurst and the wild card, wasn't it, that – Michael Anderson, who'd done um, Super 3s, wasn't allowed to get a, a drive at Bathurst because he didn't qualify because he hadn't run enough Super 2 races. It just makes no sense to me yeah. because, again, who's driving this? Let's supercars. Well, supercars claim it's Motorsport no, Australia. No, no, no. Last year when this happened, it was quite clear. Motorsport Australia gave him a licence and supercars wouldn't allow him to do it. Well, this comes back to them making sure that all their teams get an opportunity to get a lick on the way through so that they can get people to run, they can find someone to sell their old cars or run their run their teams and make a lot of money. I've got it no is idea. absurd. That's it for the Rebel Miller. Auto action Rebel Miller. We're done, except Bruce, what's in this issue? Uh, of auto action? Auto action. Well, Tuesday, Thursday comes out. It's Wednesday night. Uh, tonight you'll be able to buy a digital version of the magazine. Look, there's some interesting stuff in there. We've obviously got a lot of uh, a lot of the wash up from um, from Wanneroo. Um, <laughs> that's right, <laughs> Wanneroo. Um, obviously, we took a little bit of a look about what Shane Van Gisbergen actually said and what he didn't say. Um, there's also a really interesting story that um, 
the three of us to have a bit of a dabble at. Port PG tipped us into it, and uh, then Andrew had a bit of a dabble, and then I spoke to a couple of team owners and some other heavyweights about. So it's a multiple, multiple um, sourced article. Multiple sourced article, and the interesting thing about it is all our sources all confirmed exactly the same thing, and that is that the new the, the race at Pukekohe in twenty twenty two nearly didn't go ahead for one simple reason. And uh, I think everybody needs to get out and buy a copy to find out why, because it's actually a bit of a story, and it, and it perplexes me that um, the chain, obviously, pop uh, speaking uh, with his hand up his jumper from Roland, um, was uh, talking about the fact that uh, oh, you know, supercars are on the wrong tram, wanting to race overseas. We need to get back to New Zealand. It's my personal gripe. It's his personal gripe. They need to get back to New Zealand. <laughs> well. SVG needs to have a read of our story tomorrow because he might have to go and d- displace his personal gripe somewhere else. He does. What else have we got? Um, well, we've got an interesting story. You uh, got involved in a uh, conversation with the Trackhouse NASCAR yep. team in America. Interesting team. Um, it's uh, part owned by the, the singer Pitbull, whose music I can't stand. <laughs> he seemed like a pretty decent Did you bloke. Did him that before you started the interview? No, well, um, I'll have a chat to him when I'm in Chicago because he's apparently going to be there and um, and they've said I can come down and have a chat to him, so I'll tell him. Then This I is part him. two of um, <laughs> Andrew Clark's attempt to make sure he gets the gold pass at the NASCAR. No, no, it's, it's a good um, yeah, track house is an interesting operation and that, I believe, is where Van Gisbergen's going to run in Project yeah. 91. Well, so, it's, um, it's interesting that, that we've done that story and um, what else have we got in there? We've well, got, got lots your, of – You've got your big cricky feature, but we've already – Yeah, we've, <laughs> we've got already the cricky feature. Anyway. We've got heaps of Formula One, heaps of um, supercar news and heaps of uh, local, national and state-level competition reported in, as has been the case for Auto Action for more than 50 years. We haven't just recently discovered national <laughs> and uh, state-level wow. racing. We've always uh, covered it from the first issue back in 1970. That's Bruce's one. third whack for the day. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll be back next uh, next week for another edition of the Rev Limiter, Auto Action Rev Limiter. Uh, PG, thanks for your time. Always great. I loved it. Bruce, 10 out of 10 for you tonight. And Bruce will just go and calm him down a little bit to see if he can get to sleep tonight. Pour some <laughs> cold water on me for someone's job. Anyway, we'll, um, we'll chat next week. See you. Each week, find out what the men behind the V8 news know and what the drivers and teams are going to do next. It's interviews and opinions on Inside Supercars. My predecessor, Roland Dane, did a very, very good job. We're no longer shareholders of the build business. Personally, I think a 500 and the build up to the 1,000 is, is a good thing. Tune in for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.